wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. This is your host, Fuad Kassab, and with me is my co-host and best friend, Joe Witten. Hello, Jojo. Hello, Fufu. How you doing? Good, man. It's this been a while. winter's morning. Has it? Yeah, I missed last week's intro. So you did it on your oh, own. Oh, that's true. And you said it was a yeah. very lonely introduction. So I'm back this, this yeah, week. Yeah, I was so lonely and sad. Oh. So I'm glad you're back. Yeah, well, I am here. <laughs> and uh, we, we are like just having so many podcasts lined up these days. It's crazy. So many. Kept up like this. We're recording three podcasts this week. We already recorded yep. Dr. Jason Horolak, which is coming out in July. And that one mm-hmm. was awesome. All about the microphone. Yeah. Loved that interview. How good was so it? So much info. Oh. Yeah, it was so good. And, so and it just brought up so many more questions. So we'll probably have to get him back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I felt like he was just, you know, this is the kind of conversation he'd have over breakfast. He's that kind of intelligent. That's guy. right. We have to get to lunch next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but don't you think the sign of a good podcast is um, that it brings up so much more conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the, every it question. It starts you thinking, oh, really. Absolutely. And mm. uh, the, the podcast we have today is one of those as well. There was just yeah, so sure much. is. And um, do you want to get into it or do you want to have a bit of a chat first? Let's have a chat first because, oh. you know, they might have missed our chat last week. Oh, we we do have some people that like our chats. <laughs> Yes. If you, if you don't know, like our chats, you can fast forward. forward. Just swipe, swipe to this place where we start asking some serious questions. Yeah. You, don't have to li- you don't have to be tortured by us. It's not necessary. <laughs> you're just here for the information. It's there for But you. if you're also here for the entertainment, then stick around. Yes. And, can't, you know, uh, we're here every Thursday. Try this schnitzel. Yeah. It's actually Friday. Well. If we get our podcast up on time, then it's it's not it's Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we miss a whole week. True. Not too often, though. No, and not too often either. You say often, I say often. You say potato, I say potato. I've never heard anyone say potato in my life. I've heard tomato, but like, yeah, but no one says potato seriously. (laughs) No, that's true, but it's part of the song. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) What have you been up to, Fufu? Uh, I was peeling potatoes this morning for breakfast. <laughs> Tell us about your real food challenge. Mm, uh, over the past two weeks, I've been um, focusing on a specific way of eating. So um, I'll, I'll explain. Okay. Um, you guys know I've been eating whole foods for a long time now. And uh, whole foods basically is the natural way to eat. This is the way that we've been eating as human beings. Uh, forever and um, we've been eating food that nature provides to us um, fruits vegetables meats nuts and seeds root vegetables um, you know fish um, things like that they're they're just the food that we could just harvest and eat and some of these foods needed processing to be eaten Uh, things needed soaking for instance or leaching to get all the toxins out of them but this was very very rudimentary processing and um, all these foods still fit into the um, the gamut of whole foods but now also we have some foods which are 
still considered whole foods, like let's say rice flour or tapioca starch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these foods are still considered whole foods, but they're not as um, healing and beneficial. <laughs> yeah, because it they're is not a, as whole. It's a bit of a spectrum of whole yeah. foods. So you go from, say, like an apple to um, apple juice, and it's more processed at that point. But it's still, it's still like, in, in a sense, considered whole food as opposed to an industrialized food where, like, now it's just pure sugar. So yeah. um, Flavors and colors. Yeah. So the, the idea for me was to go to um, left side of the spectrum where it really, really begins and eat foods with a cellular structure completely intact and full of water and where the food is alive to see what that does for me. And um, I also kind of tweaked it in a way to be um, what my body seems to be asking for these days. So um, that is a lower sugar diet for me and also an attempt to eliminate dairy products for a while to see how I respond to that when I reintroduce. Because um, you've never really done that for a long time before, have you? No, not really. Not really. I haven't really quit dairy. I love dairy products and uh, I eat butter quite often. This is usually like my dairy you Choose product, it off, like know. just bites it yeah. out of the packet. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I've done that before. Oh, okay. You have done that. Okay. Yes. Um, I know you dip carrot sticks into it. Or dip carrot to. sticks into it. It's really <laughs> nice with carrot sticks. Yeah. And um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to sort of make most of my, uh, the bulk of my food be vegetables and the caloric bulk to be from fats. So vegetables don't really have a lot of calories, but they have a lot of phytonutrients, which are phytochemicals that are really, really beneficial to our body. Um, The different colors feed the different bacteria, as Dr. Horolak will tell us in the microbiome talk in July. Um, And um, the fibers also ferment and they uh, create various substrates for our bodies and um, very, very beneficial. And they have a lot of uh, nutrients in them as well. And those are used to benefit the microbiome mostly. And then the fats that I'm eating now are like olive oil from my father's farm. And um, um, basically that's the only fat that I'm eating apart from fat from eggs and uh, meat. Meat, Um, yeah. Yeah. And... um, well, I'm, I am eating uh, a bit less meat just because I'm eating so much more vegetables these days. And um, so I'm eating maybe around 10 cups or so of vegetables a day, maybe more. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of vegetables. But when you cook them down, they do sort of become like, you know, one cup. That's true. At the end of it. That's true. So it's not really that big a deal. Um, yeah. But loving it. I'm really, really enjoying eating this way and I feel much lighter in my digestion and um, my head is clear and um, yeah, just everything is working better. I haven't found like, it's not, it's not a huge noticeable difference. Like I've had uh, some cheat moments as well where I've had pizza (laughs) and and, uh, my, my, when he says pizza, he means with the grain free dough. Yeah. Not like dominoes. (laughs) (laughs) it's the homemade one like i went to a friend's uh, party and they had their big wood-fired pizza oven on and i took my girls with me and i knew that they you know would want to eat pizza and i didn't want to eat gluten pizza so i made the the grain-free dough 
and I took that with me. And then when I got there, I was making them pizza. I just couldn't help myself, so I had pizza with cheese. I'm surprised you haven't done the crunch noise yet. Well, we gave it away just now. I was going to do the crunch. Oh, were you? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you ruined it. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so you missed the moment. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was a crunchy pizza. It looked amazing. Like now I'm, I'm sad to tell the story because you ruined the... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was, yeah. I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. So it was really, really good. Actually, um, some friends tried it and they were like, oh man, this is better than the, it is. the other one. And the the thing other one is, tastes dodgy after you have well, a gluten-free day. You know, like this, this dough was made by my mate Riyadh, who is like a master winemaker and a much more of a food nerd than I am. Like that guy, ah. like he would spend any spare dollars he has on like, you know, dry aged grass fed beef or something. <laughs> or, yeah. um, you know, he's just like, he could have paid his mortgage years ago if he wasn't uh, <laughs> buying that, that, meant that much. Meat. And he's a really, really good cook as well. And so he made this three day sourdough fermented Dough, oh, beautiful! Uh, you know, using yeah. so he really put a lot of love and care into it. This wasn't your average dough. Okay, it also gross. It wasn't just white flour. No, yeah. one hour. tomatoes, um, which I'll be getting lots of as well. Like he's got a huge amount of tomatoes coming, and he's oh, selling them to restaurants, and uh, they're beautiful, beautiful ox hearts as well. Coming. Oh, they're the best. Ah. So, you know, time to make tomato sauce soon. Yeah. Up. There's a really good recipe in our cookbook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, he made a really great pizza, uh, like base, like tomato sauce for pizza. That was nice. Really delicious. So, um, yeah. So that was, that was my, that was your, you know, that was your cheat. That mm-hmm. and, and also <laughs> the, the rice stuff, oh, yes. the leaves that Louise gave me. Louise is my mom's best friend in Australia. She, they used to go to school together and they hadn't seen each other for like 50 years or stuff, more. Wow. Yeah, one, like 10 years ago, mom comes for a visit or 15 years ago, mom comes for a visit here. She's like, I want to f- go find Louise. You know, I got her number. I'm going to go see her. Uh, I took her to see Louise and, you know, a whole Aww. lifetime had passed and they were just looking at each other for like you know crying just looking at each other. <laughs> as if like you know they're trying to find the young person they used to know yeah and, uh, since that day Larissa has become like a, a second mom to me in Australia and she just it's uh, lovely yeah. so she's like I've made you vine leaves. Come and get the vine leaves before I yell at you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you had to eat them. <laughs> and I ate. Yum. They were so good. She makes really good vine leaves. And um, yeah, that's my story, Jojo. That's awesome. Well, I've been trying to um, get really back to the basics following your example. And um, I've been eating pretty much meat and veggies and broths and things like that. There's not much else that I've been eating, although mm. I just had a bit of a cheat this morning. It was a very tiny one. My, um, my neighbour down the road has been experimenting with honey sweet and meringue and she's made the syrup with the honey and water and boiled it down till it's a you know, syrup and then drizzled it in while she makes the meringue and then she's made like a roll with the, you know, you do the cream and the fruit and you roll it. Why would Which you didn't, make honey into a syrup, like add water and boil it down to what? Back because it, well, when you, uh, 
when you, I don't know why, it's just a recipe she found online, but when you just use honey, it doesn't work. Hmm. So um, she's, okay. she's made little ones that she cooked and then I told her dehydrate them because then, because she was finding they were just collapsing. So she yeah. dehydrated them and they're so crunchy. Really? They're so delicious. Yes. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Come yeah. On. It's beautiful. Seriously? It's, it's, yeah. It's oh. got the crunch, but I can't do the sound. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, that. <laughs> wow. And so she, I'm sorry, we ate those before I showed you the photo of the other one. But oh. um, yeah, so once she perfects it, we'll have to get her to share it with us all. Yeah. So oh. she brought me a, um, an, a meringue with, it's just egg whites and honey basically. But then there was a bit of cream on top, so mm. I had a bit of dairy today. That was you reckon bit. if I dehydrated the meringue, like that's like, because I just got a dehydrator. I haven't used yeah. it yet. I've got oh, yeah, do it. In, in the house yeah, you really have to um, get the moisture out with the honey, otherwise it just collapses and crumbles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. but not in the oven, in the dehydrator. Mm. Yeah, that was a tip that I learned from a chef that used to do all the sugar-free cooking. Yeah. I think he used a xylitol syrup but um, I prefer to use honey. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so there you go. Perfect. That's what, that's what we've been up to. It does. But, yeah. All right. So um, we might figure this out and do it as a recipe for it. I think it's a good idea. Well, see, the thing is she was making lots of Russian custard for her kids who are on gaps, yeah. and yeah. then you end up with 12 egg whites at a time. <laughs> so yeah. she's like, what am I going to do with all these egg whites? Meringue. Yeah. So thank you, Bianca, for your good ideas. Yeah. I like Bianca. She's all right. She's lovely. Yeah. She's the best. Good neighbor to have. She brings me flowers. She brought you birthday cake when you were here. Yep. (laughs) And it was blue as well. Like she used blue blue spirulina. Spirulina. To color it. I thought I was going to eat something toxic. No. No. She knows better. I have some good neighbors that eat good food, which is awesome. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, Jojo, what about you? Yes. Good? Everything's going all right? You did a yeah. talk on the weekend? Well, I did, a, I did a talk for, yeah, not gigantic, about 50-something yeah. people. Yeah, some, a, for a senior women's group. And you know what was so awesome about that talk? I don't know if I told you. Um, afterwards, I had women coming up to me saying, I'm going to go home and throw out all my vegetable oil and I'm going to the shop to buy extra virgin olive oil. How about wow. that? Brilliant. Isn't that cool? Because, you know, it's hard Brilliant. to change when you've been doing things yes. a certain way for years. And that really encouraged me that they, they understood the importance of good fats and yeah. whole foods. And we talked about all of that kind of stuff and getting back to the way, you know, and there was a lot of women there saying, you know, this is how we were raised. We had lard and we had tallow and we had butter. And then we were told it was all no good. And one Italian lady, an old, an older Italian lady said, you know, at home back in Italy, she said, the young people are now saying olive oil is no good and they're swapping over to vegetable oh oils. And I'm like, no. All places. <laughs> I, yeah. Isn't that awful? It is and I told her, I told her about the study that we recently found um, that was just done here in Australia with olive oil. And I said, if you want any details, just send me an email. The only problem is a lot of them don't have internet. That was <laughs> these, yeah. these lovely ladies were saying, I don't have internet. I just have a computer. I'm like, okay, um, here's my cookbook. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. Like, so we can be so easily bamboozled now, you know. Yeah. That really yeah. upsets me to hear that. But, but all the work was, I'm doing, it can be just swept away by some kind of crappy ad on the television. 
or a Netflix documentary, yeah. which everybody just goes, oh, it's on TV. It must be real. Right. Keep <laughs> our heads down. Keep working. Keep That's right. spreading the olive oil message. Oh, well, I, I just have to say this morning I was... Spreading um, the butter message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading. I'll see if I can find it quickly. Um, I was reading some quotes and poetry by Wendell Berry. And um, he is very much a, um, he's very encouraging about, you know, how the world has gone crazy with, um, you know, going away from the real way of eating and living into um, the way that we are now. And he talks about not letting, letting it get to you. I'm trying to find the quote um, about being joyful and sort of getting out into nature and realizing what's really important. And uh, you'll really love him for it. You'll have to look him up. Is he still um, alive? Yeah, he's an older, he's probably 70 something or 80. Let's interview him. Yeah, I was thinking that actually. I'd love to interview yeah. people like that. Here's a quote for you from him. We have the world to live in on the condition that we will take good care of it. And to take good care of it, we have to know it. And to know it and to be willing to take care of it, we have to love it. Wow. So that's one of his famous quotes. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he does have some beautiful quotes about being joyful. Oh, here we go. I have to read you one more. This one's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought or of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light for a time. I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's, that's right. Because it's home. It's our home. Yeah. That's where, that's where we should go when we're feeling yeah. that, you know, things aren't going great. And everything's out of sync. Out of sync. You go home. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I love it. I've been reading so many books about wildness and, uh, wilderness and just loving it these days i've got so, so much coming after the vision quest i've just it's become my topic now like the thing that i really really mm. love the most love doing the most and love talking about the most and um, yeah. i think when we're talking about the way the food system and the health of our society has gone downhill it can get very discouraging so it's good to pull back and see the big picture and yes. disappear into nature for a bit and um, sort of yeah. at least sort yourself out and then you can help others. Right? I was listening to a guy, what's his name? What's his name? Um, David Abram, um, mm -hmm. an interview with him. And he was saying um, something like the, like the default state of the human being is to be in nature and mm -hmm. to be like a citizen of the planet. And yep. um, when, um, this when a human being is living like that they feel like they're living in a community you know like within mm. the community of the the world not just of people but of the trees and the soil and the mountains and the rivers mm -hmm. and, the, and the oceans and all that kind of stuff and and that you know as people who lived close to nature they they uh, sensed the presence of nature as they walked and they knew that nature sensed their presence in return as well and then when we lose touch with nature in that way we can so easily be swayed towards consumerism and capitalism yeah. be made to feel like 
our happiness lies at the next thing and with yes and and really the answer is really there already for us in terms of health and happiness and joys to to go back to this um natural equilibrium that our body and our soul craves for being in nature and uh, yeah I, you know so many people feel so much better just by going out for a bushwalk or just sitting oh, in the and, uh, That was one of the biggest things that helped my boys when they were struggling with anxiety is going yeah. for a walk in nature. And honestly, in 10 or 15 minutes, it had turned around their anxiety every mm. time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because and it's, it's so simple. Worry about? Well, I, I read a, a quote, I don't know by who, the other day, but it said if your kids are bouncing off the walls, <laughs> yes, the walls, um that's really it because we just that's that's what makes us go crazy is when we're confined to a space that's not natural to us yeah yeah how did we get on this topic i don't know yeah. we're just having a chat writing little short stories about wildness and uh, things like that so yeah i'll, I'll share some on, on instagram okay. yeah good yeah follow for what on instagram and he'll yeah. He shares his poetry on there sometimes too. Yeah. Don't you? Little, mm. little bones, nothing, you know, huge. Uh, it's iFood blog, by the way. iFood blog. Yes. yes. If you follow me there now, you give me a chance to catch up to Joe. Uh, <laughs> three hundred million followers on uh, social. Ah, oh, not three hundred million. No. No. <laughs> You'd love that. Oh. I'm little compared to most people on Instagram. A lot yeah. of people. Well, you know, I'm, and you're it's, not it's, I'm not. And, uh, it, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not doing the. Um, I don't have the super organized, absolutely gorgeous Instagram. I just have the everyday stuff. So if you like everyday stuff and behind the scenes and real life, then follow me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even know what you're like. What you could present as not real life, because like there's not not a moment in your life where I can go. Yeah, this is kind of picture perfect for Joe. You know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my hair's always either a mess or my house is a mess or my yeah. kids are stressing me out. Or <laughs> it's just real life. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I do live in a beautiful place and you'll see some nice scenery. Mm. I got a delivery of wood yesterday, a cubic meter of oh, uh, awesome. you know, Blue Mountains fires. I, got, uh, I sat by the fire. I did my work next to the chimney yesterday. And I oh, took, how lovely. Ah, oh, it's so good. I'm, I am so tempted to get a, like a wood-fired yeah, stove in the house. Yeah, definitely. Oh, we've had frost for the last five days. Yeah, but like by 10 o'clock, it's like warm again, isn't it? Oh, I've got a shawl and tights and f fluffy slippers on. And <laughs> like it's 10.30. Slippers? Funny fluffy slippers, yes. Yeah, the funny ones. <laughs> well, that's because you're like, like me, lazy, and you don't want to get out of your pajamas. But no, I had a shower and got out of my pajamas. Thank you. I need to have yes. a shower. Maybe we should uh, finish up this podcast. <laughs> go have a shower. Yeah, so you can go have a shower. All right, Please let's have do. a chat about. Um, you know, we've been talking forever, so we shouldn't. That's um, true. Um, lime. Mm, yeah. Yes. This is not. This is the, a controversial topic, isn't it? Well, in some circles. In some circles, but we're not talking about like lime. And lime juice and that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> lime disease, L-Y-M-E. Not even talking about the lime and the coconut. No, but if you have a coconut and some lime, you put the lime in the coconut. 
that's, that's what you do. And, okay, that's the wrong kind of Lyme. No, we're talking about Lyme, Lyme disease, Lyme co-infections and viral infections and mold illness and chemical sensitivities and things like that with Amina Eastam Hill. Stealth infections. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted there. Amina. What was her last name? Eastam Hillier. Amina is a naturopath who's been working with uh, Lyme disease and stealth infections like Epstein-Barr virus and herpes. Uh, And she's treated over 3,000 cases of these diseases in her practice. So this is her area of focus. And she's um, really, really knowledgeable on this topic. And um, in the podcast, she talks about and the diagnosis process for Lyme disease and the various stealth infections and how her approach is for treatment. And this is a, a really great, great podcast. Uh, it's quite a hopeful one as well because yeah. uh, a lot of people will really struggle with these diseases and not know what to do and not know the holistic approach to take when it comes to treating these diseases. And, and it feels like it's forever and you'll never get over it. I yeah. know a lot of people who've been through this and they don't actually believe that they're going to get better. Yeah. And we but, also talk about yeah. what getting better is. Mm. Yes. Um, and how to measure your success in terms of the improvement that you'll get. These are very difficult uh, diseases to really completely recover from and we talk mm. about what remission looks like. And, um, yeah, it's a fascinating podcast. Um, Amina can be found at anusaholistichealth.com and amina.com.au so that's www.amina.com.au we'll put the links in the show notes and uh, she also is she's a practitioner so you can go see her do Skype calls with her about this you don't have to actually fly to Nusa to do this Um, she is really a great resource and a very passionate human being when it comes to this area of treatment so that's what you want you want someone who really cares about this stuff Um, we really hope you enjoyed the podcast Joe do you want to add anything before we move on yeah I think I should just add if you're listening to this on iTunes if you could possibly give us a really nice five-star rating that would be awesome because it means that more people will find our podcast and I think um, we're talking about really important topics on this podcast and we hope to really get the word out there um, about you know all these amazing people we're interviewing Um, it would be great to get it out there more so if you can give us a good rating on iTunes that would be awesome thank you guys remember (laughs) eat whole foods sleep really well drink clean water get into the sunshine and walk in nature as often as you can de-stress be kind to other people and look after yourselves and your bodies and uh, we'll see you in the next podcast next week Amina welcome to the show thank you for joining us Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, where are you based? I mean, just to know what, what your business is and where you're practicing from. I'm based in Noosa on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. I've got a clinic there called Noosa Holistic Health. Uh, we've got about 18 practitioners there now. And um, yeah, so I, I specialize in chronic complex conditions where people have a whole plethora of symptoms like chronic fatigue and pain and chronic anxiety and and depression, brain fog, those sorts of symptoms. 
on your website and um, also from the book, book that you've written, Lime Natural, um, you you tell us that you you've been dealing with over three thousand cases of chronic symptoms of Lyme disease, and this is just an astounding number to to be dealing with. I'm just wondering if you could share with us your story on how you got started in the world of Lyme disease. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been a naturopath for over fifteen years, and I've been a nutritionist for twenty five years. And I, I was working in a medical center um, over 10 years ago now with medical doctors. And we were working with a lot of patients that had chronic fatigue, chronic pain, um, and a lot of um, quite severe illnesses associated with those symptoms. And there were a couple of people who actually had Lyme disease. From One was from Germany. I remember one was from South Africa. Um, and we started seeing a lot of local people that had tick-borne infections or, you know, different things that um, they weren't sure what was going on. So I guess word just got out. We started treating these patients and, and just word got out. Next thing I'm starting to see more patients that think, oh, have I got Lyme disease? And I didn't know much about it at all then. So I started researching and I guess the cascade just continued. I, I just, it, it picked me. It just came and I just sort of kept working with it. So that's how I got into it, which is great because I love working with uh, the immune system and the adrenals and, you know, the liver and the gut and all of these areas are what needs to be looked at with these patients. Mm. Lyme is such a, um, you know, difficult topic to talk about the diagnosis process is difficult it's um, not like having any normal infections and um, to a lot of us it's one of those diseases that sounds really mysterious can you maybe tell us a little bit about what Lyme is what its symptoms are and um, you know how does a person present to you like how do they suspect that they may have Lyme or not okay well your classic textbook Lyme disease is a person gets bitten by a tick um, that is infected by Borrelia burgdorferi bacteria. And although never, we never really look at the textbook way because it's never like that. So to me, Lyme is a bit of an umbrella word that someone has a, an infection. So in acute Lyme, someone may have been bitten by a tick um, or other vector. There are other insects that can cause these types of infections. Um, and the person may have a flu-like symptoms for a couple of weeks. Um, initially, they may have the bullseye rash, which is your erythema. It looks like a bit of a target rash, um, but only 25 to 30 people percent of people actually present with this type of symptom, the rash. So someone might get a, a flu-like symptoms within a couple of weeks of being bitten by the tick or the initial um, onset of infection. They might feel sore throat, really bad headaches, aching neck, um, a lot of sore muscles around the back, may feel really fatigued, may get some sweats. Um, and then this seems to be often described as a flu that was the worst they'd ever had. And sometimes they don't associate the actual flu infection symptoms with the tick bite that they may have had a couple of weeks ago whilst bush were walking on their camping holiday. Then what tends to happen, this is acute Lyme, over the weeks, it seems to just sort of get worse. The symptoms often patients describe other knee pains, pains in their knee, or more neck pain. Um, they often get a lot more fatigued. Their symptoms get a lot worse, and they don't just never seem to be right. They just don't get better. Sometimes patients never get back to work again. So that's your classic, typical 
um, acute Lyme where, you know, you know, in there's a, there's a tick involved. So there are so many other co-infections, not just Borreliosis. Borreliosis is the tick um, bacteria, the Borrelia burgdorferi type bacteria. But there's also many co-infections like Rickettsia, Mycoplasma, Anaplasma, Babesia. These are all co-infections that also often accompany Borreliosis type infection from a tick bite. When they do have these infections, so it's a type of bacteria, is this affecting gut health or is it like if they have a healthier gut will it help to guard against that do you know well i the way i um, explain it to people is so it's a bit of a complex cycle if you imagine going around the clock okay so it's a bit of a cycle so say um it all starts with someone's genetics, like what, what genetics. Mm. So imagine around one o'clock of my, my chronic cycle, we've got the person's born with certain genes. Some people are born with genes that they're, so, they're a lot more susceptible to inflammatory conditions. Yes. They're more, more susceptible to um, immunodeficient um, type diseases and also um, autoimmune diseases. And then, so is this relate, related to that kind of thing? So, so okay. many of my chronic patients do, there's definitely, a, I do a lot of genetic testing myself and there's definitely mm -hmm. a genetic predisposition to, as a tendency towards getting affected. Some of these patients have, like, for example, the MTHFR gene mm. variation that means they can't detox very well or okay, yeah. inflammatory marketing. So I look at that. And then when you were asked about the gut, Many of these patients already have sensitive guts, even though they might not realize it. They may be mm. gluten sensitive, even celiac in some cases, um, and they may be lactose intolerant. They may have already, um, you know, had a very bit of an acidic diet. Um, mm -hmm. Often patients have parasites, whether they had the parasites before they got sick and the parasites weren't affecting them or their body was more um, vulnerable and the parasites took an opportunity to be in more of a, a, an acidic inflamed state since they got the Borreliosis type infection. So there's always a massive part of my treatment is always looking at the gut because yeah. most of the patients do have what we call gut dysbiosis. They don't have mm -hmm. enough good bacteria. They, they have too much of the toxic dysbiotic bacteria. That, that alone, there's many bacteria I, I find when I do stool testing that come up from time and time again. Um, and I find that these come up with similar stealth infections. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely a, a gut role there. Mm. So when you call them stealth infections, this is, um, what's this term and, and what is it really implying? So stealth means infections that are underlying that haven't been picked up. They go stealth. They're actually in hiding. So, um, and, and Lyme Borreliosis is a very typical bacteria that um, creates a stealth infection. So, for example, the bacteria of Borrelia, it's a little spirochete. It's like a little spiral coiled hair. And in its normal form, it's a spirochete and it has a cell wall. Um, and many antibiotics actually aim to target bacteria that have a cell wall. They aim for the, the cell wall. That's where they go for. 
But the Borrelia, they can actually take their cell wall off. It's like taking off their jacket and they become invisible to antibiotics. So um, that's why they have to have very specific um, cell wall deficient type antibiotics such as doxycycline. Um, So they can take their jacket off and they can actually put their jacket back on again. So they can actually change their form. So that's one thing they can do. So there's a spirochete form then there's the cell wall deficient form. Then another thing these types of bacteria can do to go stealth in hiding, they can actually form cysts. So maybe one Borrelia spirochete or maybe a couple of Borrelia spirochete will actually join together and actually um, reproduce uh, their own proteins around themselves and form a cyst. And they can stay in a cyst form for, for months upon years and often go into hiding like deep in some crevice in the body. And then another form that these bacteria can do, and many, many bacteria can form cysts and parasites, blastocystis, for example, is a parasite that goes into cyst form. Another form that the bacteria can do, not just the Borrelia, but viruses, candida, fungal infections, can actually film, uh, form biofilms. Um, mm. And your biological biofilms, that's actually it's a natural survival mechanism of the um, pathogens and they um, they can group together you could get a couple of Borrelia a streptococcus and E. coli and a bit of candida and maybe Epstein-Barr virus join together and they ah. actually re- produce their own proteins around themselves like a blanket like they cover themselves in a blanket like they're in a little air raid shelter mm-hmm. and this um, this sort of mucagulous type tissue over time produces um, a hard coating because it attracts minerals such as calcium and magnesium. So classic biofilms are the slippery stuff that you get in rocks on rocks in a river, that slimy mm-hmm. stuff, or the teeth plaque. You, you, in your teeth, yeah. the plaque that you get, that's a biofilm. So um, bacteria naturally will produce their own biofilm as a way of their own survival and they can live in there for years they can yeah they actually if you look at a biofilm under a microscope it actually looks like a little venetian city you've got little roadways and they actually move aside and wow. even by, bacteria will even um surrender um for like suicide for the actual good of the cell the other cells in the other bacteria in the biofilm so <laughs> for food so it, it's quite complex it's, it's quite amazing the yeah Wow. Goes on in biofilm. <laughs> so therefore, these, are, these bacteria and pathogens are called stealth because they're not picked up in your normal random blood tests. So most of these patients will go to a doctor, say, what's wrong with me? They'll have all the random blood tests done and yeah. everything will come up normal. There's nothing wrong with the person and often they get told it's all in their head. Right, so if they're, they're not being picked up in the blood test, it becomes um, the job of the diagnosis from just looking at the symptoms of say, saying, well, you're presenting yeah, the symptoms of Lyme? Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah, so looking at the symptoms is very important. Also looking at the, I get patients to do a very comprehensive um, symptom history. diary. Yeah, yeah, history and symptom diary. So every week they're writing down and then we're looking at the cycles. So, for example, Borrelia has a cycle, a reproductive cycle, once a month. Um, it tends to flare up once a month, the symptoms. And then Bartonella, which is another bacteria caused by tick bites, often comes as a co-infection with Lyme, um, comes up every two weeks. The cycle's every two weeks. Babesia, which is a protozoa, similar to malaria, that's also caused 
um, by tick bites and often comes to patients that have Borrelia or Lyme disease, that cycle tends to be every four to eight days. So looking at the um, cycles of the, the, the patient's symptoms gives a really good indication of knowing you know, the possible pathogens that they may have and therefore we can do more individual testing. And listening to the symptoms generally, there's, symptoms are quite different between a lot of the infections and the co-infections, so just knowing what to look out for. And, and in many cases, you're not always going to know all the stealth infections. We're, we're made of thousands of bacteria. Just, just in our gut alone, we have 500 to thousands of bacteria. So we're never going to know every single thing going on, but we can certainly um, have a look. And it's very good idea to look at the viral components as well because there are often a lot of viruses associated with these types of patients so there's no standard lab testing then that can pick it up so the process then you're saying is they'll do bloods nothing will show up in the bloods then they will present with the symptoms and then you keep a diary look at the symptoms see whether they fit some type of bacteria or another and then you can do specific testing then to see what that's that is one way of doing it, but you can definitely get specific testing for Borrelia. So um, it doesn't, you need to usually wait a few weeks from the initial infection, so usually about six weeks because the antibodies aren't produced in that time. Okay. But Australian Biologics, they do a lot of testing for Borrelia, uh, mycoplasma, chlamydia pneumoniae, um, and so there's a lot of, you know, they'll look at a different few bunch of different okay. co-infections as From well. From the antibodies in the blood, really. Not, they're not looking at the, um, the bacteria, like they're not trying to well, they're uh, not, touch not, it. But not just the antibodies, no. Yeah. Actually looking more at the DNA, so doing okay, like PCR right. profile um, as well. So there's a, there's a lot of different tests that okay. um, the laboratories can do. So it's really up to the the clinician or the practitioner to work out what are the best tests for the patient to have depending mm. on their symptoms. I mean, you can just, you can actually go and get lots of different tests. Like there's a, um, a lab in America, IGNX that do, you know, a great big profile, but it's thousands of dollars and you need to sort of, it's better to know what you're looking for. Um, and then you can make the tests a, a lot more affordable by actually pinpointing what might be appropriate. And, the thing is, in a lot of cases, um, sometimes the test can come back negative. It doesn't mean that the person doesn't have the infection. It just means that it wasn't picked up because a lot of the tests are based on the, the species Borrelia burgdorferi, whereas in Australia, we probably have the um, Borrelia aphthalii or Borrelia greenii, um, and there's a few others that have been recently talked about maybe more present in Australia. So, hmm. yeah. What, um, we've got a friend who has Lyme disease and he's struggled with it for years. Do you find that it, like how long does it usually take to work through? Well, this is the thing. I don't, I don't ever think I just see Lyme on its own. I, yeah. Back to my, back so to my chronic complex cycle, I, yeah. I always see these genetic things. I always, there's the gut problems and then we look mm. at the heavy metal toxicity load in the person. So when I do the testing on these patients, they've always got higher amounts of mercury, lead, arsenic, um, aluminium mm. and often their mineral status is very low so their magnesium calcium zinc 
molybdenum, and these are magne- These are nutrients that the Borrelia will feed off as well, especially so, in molybdenum. So if they've got heavy metal toxicity, they're more likely to get Lyme disease? Is that what you mean? It kind of is a bit. Well, mm. the thing is, it's a bit like the chicken or the egg. It's like... Yeah, which one? Does yeah. the Borrelia f- affect the person because the person's environment is perfect for that Borrelia mm. to thrive, i.e. inflammation, toxicity, acidity, other pathogens it can, Parasite. you know, literally feed off and, and, and work together with. Um, the um, people with underlying viruses such as Epstein-Barr virus that many people have or glandular fever, um, often I think these viruses will exacerbate the Borrelia-type infection. So does the, pers- does the person already have all this going on or... Yeah does the person get an infection and then ends up getting all these susceptibilities, genes then get switched on that make them more um, um, prone to inflammation, um, make them more prone to anxiety, make them more um, prone to having food sensitivities and multiple chemical sensitivities. So, But but why would they not be able to detoxify them? Why would they then get heavy metal toxicity? Or would that be an existing condition or would it... MTHFR? It could be an existing condition that they had the heavy metals present and Mm -hmm. they actually weren't detoxing them properly at the time but at the time they weren't it wasn't a problem for them because they were working hard and running and doing going to the gym and eating okay and everything was okay but then they get the infection and that's like the icing on the cake yeah or um usually that's the case or it just the infection they may have had the infection for years and years some children are born with it because it can be passed on by a utero from the well, I was I was wondering about that because their daughter has it as well, and mm. um, they've had terrible trouble with parasites because they live in New Guinea. So right. yeah, it's, it's, it's like a I call it my jigsaw puzzle. So oh, it's such a big it's jumble such a issue. Of, so literally, yeah. when patients come in, I actually have a jigsaw puzzle template that I get out. It's a blank and it's got fifty pieces on it, and sometimes I have to go over that. And I can fill that jigsaw puzzle up no problem because when you start going, okay, so this is a typical this is a typical pattern of someone with chronic Lyme. They've had it for say three or four years, for example. Okay, typical picture. Um, mm-hmm. They've got they had tonsillitis as a child. They might have been born via cesarean in the first time. Maybe not breastfed. Maybe had some reactions to vaccinations. Maybe they may have been okay as a child. You know, no problem. Um, but then as a teenager, they might have had a lot of stress, a lot of hormone problems. Maybe the girls went on the pill early to control mm. their hormones. Maybe they got glandular fever when they were partying, when they were age 18 or 19 and had a few weeks off college. Um, and then maybe they just got into party life. Maybe they were, you know, and they could have just had a very healthy life and not being partying. I'm not saying everyone's partying, mm-hmm. but... Um, this is a typical example. And then maybe gone into a job that they would have worked really hard, maybe spent too much time at the gym, working too hard at the gym, working too hard with yeah. their studies generally. So they become a bit adrenally depleted earlier than their body naturally wants to be. Um, so all of these things will start sort of forming a pattern of putting the body under stress physically and mentally. 
So this is a sort of pattern I see. And then when you think about, you know, the heavy metals, so maybe they worked with chemicals or sprays or didn't eat organic food or as this is human, you know, we can't always, we can't avoid these chemicals, but maybe someone had some mercury fillings or um, maybe they were on a particular medication for a long time that's really like, you know, Nexium because they had, you were burping too much or, you know, there's so many things that could, women that use a lot of, perfumes and hairsprays and makeup and toxic things on their skin you know all of these things can add up can add to the load of the body being stressed or overwhelmed Hmm. yeah just wondering with this um because i I have no experience with lyme disease or epstein-barr or anything like that i'm just uh, trying to imagine what does a person feel like or look like are they completely debilitated do they struggle to get out of bed or is it on a spectrum like do people some function better than others how does it look like it's definitely on a spectrum i i've had whole families where they've the whole family is tested and even a say for example a mother might have a lot of symptoms the husband may not really have any symptoms but he has the positive borrelia as well so Mm. Some people, they do function fine. They're okay. They're able to still go to work. They have children. They've got to function. They, and I, I think it's a lot of the cases they have to. Um, yeah. And it, it depends on how well they eat. If they're eating well, that's one of the biggest things that I noticed. The healthier limeys, I call them, have had <laughs> a lot more um, of a better diet. Uh, yeah. Even if they change their diet from when they got ill, they tend to be a lot more... Um, mindful of toxins and they also do things like relaxing and more yoga or meditation and they often have a bit more of a um, I guess a lot more family support is a massive thing Mm. then there are patients who you know aren't working they maybe still have children but they are really struggling every day it's a real struggle for them and then there are patients that are completely bed bound I have patients that may only come and see me once a month and that's the only time that they actually leave their house and then wow. I've got patients, the other extreme, that are, don't even leave the house at all, can barely lift their head off the pillow because they're in their bed, so we're doing Skypes. So there are mm. a surprisingly number, high number of patients that are actually bed-bound. You wouldn't know it because you don't see them, but they're actually they're sick. They're at home and they're just basically there. Yeah, no we've heard from a few that have listened to the podcast and found it helpful and sit and you know it's um that's why these podcasts we feel are so important because mm. how else do you reach people who don't know what's wrong with them? That's right. And and there are always it never is just lying. However, no. that can be the straw that broke the camel's back so mm. to speak. Or that could have been the final thing. Or that could be a you know a very large, you know, someone's born and they have Borrelia in their system. They they're, these are the children that continuously struggle. They've got aching pains, you know, called, often called growing pains, growing and they're pains. not functioning mm. at school, and they're not eating well, and they're always sick, and they're deficient in iron and different nutrients, and um, you know, always have sore tummies and parasites. So, you know, they could have been infected since birth, and then they never really thrive. They always struggle. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So now to move on to the treatment aspect, um, is this a case of making the immune system stronger or do we have specific drugs that we can use to target Lyme disease? 
And talk about diet too. <laughs> we want to know. Well, okay, so in treating, from my perspective, treating acute Lyme to chronic Lyme is very different. So if someone has acute Lyme, in, in other words, they've just been bitten by a tick, they, they've got a bullseye rash on them, you know, it's all swollen, they've got the flu-like symptoms, aching pain, it might have only been a few weeks ago, I then do highly recommend that that person does go on antibiotics but I also recommend that that person um, sees a, a specialized naturopath and gets a very good comprehensive program to support that. So initially the antibiotics can be very helpful. Um, I think when the person, when it ends up the person has um, chronic Lyme, then it's, it's debatable whether the antibiotics will help or not. It, every patient's different. So that really needs a bit of a comprehensive assessment to check out whether that person is needing antibiotics or not. Um, some people, like the most of the people that I see, are chronic and they actually can't handle the antibiotics or they've had them and they've done them for three or four years and they're still not well. So these are the types of patients I get to see. And then I'm often trying to deal with the side effects of the antibiotics and then the gut dysbiosis that comes with that. And so we're sort of working on that level um, so there's a place. There's a place for medicine. I think it's really good for naturopaths to team up with um, good medical doctors and work together on this because it does need a bit of a comprehensive program. Mm. So far as what I do from my naturopath perspective, yes, there is so much we can do. And I've, I've, I do it and I see it and I do get results. Um, and it, it's, it's a very tricky complex um, procedure and I say to patients if you've got chronic Lyme you might be looking at a couple of years however people can start to feel better sooner um, much sooner so the treatment basically is really supporting the immune system um, and making sure that the body has everything it needs to heal the body will heal itself but it needs the tools so often um, the detox is a big issue because many people can't detox their body very well and they've got these types of genes that um, stop them detoxing so well, but also in a lot of mineral deficiencies and vitamin deficiencies. For example, the ones that have the MTHFR type gene mutations, they are um, often very deficient in vitamin B12, which is essential for detoxification. Often they're deficient in selenium and glutathione, which are your master antioxidants for the liver. So if a person can't detox and they have a bacterial infection, when the bacteria do die off, the bacteria release um, endotoxins called lipopolysaccharides. And these parts of the bacteria are actually so toxic they can cause symptoms worse than the original symptoms because they just they cause a lot of inflammation in the cells um, and if we don't get rid of these lipopolysaccharides or these these bacterial endotoxins those toxins can cross the blood-brain barrier and there has been a lot of association um, with a lot of medical studies proving that um, lipopolysaccharides crossing the blood-brain barrier can cause Alzheimer's, um, depression, anxiety, and that's not just your Borrelia lipopolysaccharides, mm. that's lipopolysaccharides crossing from the gut wall, the leaky gut, the impermeable gut yeah, yeah. wall into the bloodstream across into the brain. So the detox is a really big part. So we've got immune system support, detox support, obviously looking at making sure we're looking at the minerals and vitamins. Um, the 
adrenal support, often people's adrenals are really affected. So their cortisol levels are either very low or their cortisol levels are too high and that's creating more inflammation for the body and the adrenals produce up to 50 other different hormones. So all the estrogen and testosterone and progesterone all get unbalanced as well. Um, and we need to look after the nervous system. A lot of my treatments involve um, herbs and nutrients that are very antioxidant and anti-inflammatory because inflammation is like the key for treating any of these chronic stealth infections because inflammation will lead to pain and um, degeneration, so nerve degeneration of the cells. And that's pretty much, that's in a nutshell, very um, very quick conclusion. And then, of course, as you mentioned, diet. Diet is absolutely imperative. Um, and I see that's an area that many people really struggle with is knowing what to eat, yeah. when to eat, how to eat. And, and often they get very overwhelmed with it, don't they? So overwhelmed. And the thing is, a lot of patients become super sensitive. So they start reacting to gluten and caffeine and dairy and salicylates and oxalates and histamines and all those things that they never <laughs> used to react to. Yeah. And now they're like, I don't know what to eat because I'm reacting to everything. And then that causes more stress. Causes more stress on the body. It causes emotional stress. It causes deficiencies because they start limiting their diet. Um, and I can't, I think the emotional stress is probably one of the worst um, yeah. aggravators for people with chronic stealth because any stress is going to aggravate any symptom. Stress is going to cause more inflammation anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes they might stress more about what to eat than the actual stress that's going to be caused by the bacteria. Hmm. Is, um, yeah. is the diet... So uh, what kind of diet? Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's what that's what I was going to ask. The same, if the diet does it go yeah. beyond <laughs> eating whole foods? Is it something specific, or what's your recommendation? Well, my recommendation is every patient's different. So I normally get the person to fill out a diet diary for nine days, and they bring it back, and we discuss the type of food they eat. And because we've got to work, it's got to be modified. I can't, you know, everyone's different. If someone's just eating, mm. you know, all vegan raw stuff they're not going to suddenly go paleo so i'm very open-minded to the person's preferences <laughs> however um we need to make sure that the person often patients are very low in protein so when i test blood they can be low in albumin and their protein for a start as well as their basic minerals so we need to make sure that they're firstly getting enough protein in the diet whether they're vegan vegetarian and if they're paleo, that they're not getting too much protein without the balance of healthy vegetables. So the biggest, mm. easiest thing to say is, you know, have five vegetables a day, a couple of fruits if you're not reacting to candida and the sugar in fruits, and have really healthy, small amounts of healthy protein. So in the form of um, meats, or if you don't want to be eating meat, to have good quality nuts beans legumes seeds as much as possible organic um and i'm not a fan of raw food diet for these types of patients because these patients are too cold so chinese medicine um looks at these types of patients that are often blood deficient and they're they they come in and they're you know they're just not absorbing the food and they are cold their hands are cold their feet are cold their thyroid's completely hypo active it's just not 
um, functioning mm. as well. So patients need warming, good steamed food, um, slow cooked food, and lots of vitamins added as in fresh leafy greens, fresh um, vegetables, salads. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm mm. a big fan of using herbs in the garden. I'm a big That's fan good. of the phytonutrients in herbs. So just even people that can't, don't have a garden, there's no reason why someone can't have a plant pot with some parsley in it and some rosemary or, you know, even growing it in the house mm. um, and using the phytonutrients from foods as much as possible. That's good. Did you have any more questions about that, Fu? Oh, with, with regards to the diet, I was just wondering whether there's something that could uh, trigger... With the herbs and everything, that was interesting. Yeah, just with, uh, with the triggering of symptoms, are there any foods that trigger symptoms? Oh, definitely. I always say to people, um, I say to people to avoid gluten as much as possible. And the reason why is, okay, you've got the people who are celiac, um, and as many people who actually are, have the celiac gene and they don't even realize that they have the gene and they have that tendency towards that inflammation, which is an autoimmune disease. And if they don't have the celiac gene, and those genes are very much associated with people who get Lyme disease and people who suffer from mold illness. So the, we're talking about the HLA, DR, DQ genotypes that are very, make people very susceptible to being gluten intolerant, Lyme affected and mold illness. So I always say to recommend okay. to, to do gluten-free as much as possible anyway. And my other reason why is that um, there's a lot of studies showing now that gluten can increase zonulin levels in the gut and the zonulin are like the gatekeepers. They basically um, affect the permeable membrane of the gut and instead of having it a nice tight healthy membranes only allowing nutrients into the bloodstream, they tend to be open and this leaky gut can end up with letting a lot of bacteria from the gut into the bloodstream when it should only really be in the gut. And also, gluten's a very big molecule and as, as is lactose. And gluten and lactose molecules have been found to cross that leaky gut wall into the blood brain into the blood system and then cross the blood-brain barrier in that way. So that's, that's where your GAPS diet comes in, that gut and psychology syndrome. A lot of doctors have done a lot of research on that and have found the link is, is the gluten um, actually makes people have a leaky gut wall because of the amount of zonulin that the, the gluten makes the body produce. So I, I do yep. recommend people stay off gluten as much as possible. Lactose is another one that a lot of people do tend to react to. And if someone has an odd bit of milk in their tea, so be it. If someone has an odd piece of birthday cake every now and again, so be it. But it's when the person is having, you know, toast for breakfast with butter and a big milky coffee and then a muffin for mid-morning and a ham and cheese sandwich for lunch and then spaghetti bolognese for dinner with a bunch of cheese on it. You know what I mean? Like that's an inflammatory type diet. Too yeah. much coffee. Coffee, I've found a lot of people in my genetic testing have this CYP1A2 gene, which means they just can't tolerate caffeine. Um, and it makes, it, they may love caffeine like myself. However, the coffee makes them anxious. And, and, and if they have another coffee, they're just too hyper. And it can actually cause cardiovascular disease. This has all been scientifically proven. 
I remember going to a conference wow. just a couple of years ago and a, a doctor spent a whole hour and a half. His lecture was all about cardiovascular disease from coffee. And he was specifically t- talking about this. <laughs> that would have depressed a lot of people. I know. I'm really sorry to tell you this, people. Sorry. I know I put, a, I put a Facebook post about this once and I upset a lot of people. And I upset myself. I was feeling it too. It wasn't just like I wasn't just like, yeah. you know, I feel it because I love coffee. But I know if I have, I can have one maybe twice a week. Otherwise, that's it. Mm. Um, so that's another, you know, that depending on the person not everyone has the genes but depending on the person yeah um and alcohol obviously we don't need to go into that obviously but there's a, a time and a place and i think you know an, an odd glass of red wine occasionally is fine but unfortunately these days i have to ask people you know how how you know do you just have a bottle of wine a night rather than how much mm. alcohol do you drink wow. so common for, <laughs> men and women and a lot of women a lot of women have will happily drink a whole bottle of wine a night mm. and not really think about it so in these chronic type patients it is going to have an effect on their whole being so mm. they're my sort of big ones and obviously sugar but you know sugar in many forms and and in a lot of processed foods so if it comes out of a packet it usually has sugar in it usually so you're best off having anything from the, you know your farmers markets and from your health food stores that's as natural as possible, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, this is uh, sounding to me like um, we we're looking at um, Lyme disease, but maybe all these other diseases as well are going to be in a way treated with the same type of nutrition approach. Is that uh, what I'm hearing? But whether well, you're- Absolutely. I mean, okay. at the end of the day, any, any virus, pathogen or bacterial parasite needs to have the body to deal with it needs to have the optimum nutrition. So getting as much nutrients as possible out of nutrient rich food with as little hindrance and the hindrance is going to be due to the inflammation caused by the toxic foods. All right. And um, then after that, is there any specific herbal support that can be given to a target, say, Lyme or Epstein-Barr? Or, oh, absolutely. There's a, a, so many. It's ecstatically exciting. Um, I've written quite a lot of um, herbs in my book. I've written a book called Lyme Natural, and there's a lot of herbs in there. But there, I've got about 400 herbs in my clinic, so I choose ones that are specific for the person. Every person gets a personalized prescription, However, um, some of my favorite herbs I use for supporting the immune system. I would use um, holy basil. I use myrrh. I use um, artemisium for a lot of sort of parasites, protozoa, and the stronger bacteria. I use a lot of echinacea, cat's claw. I use ashtagalus for acute Lyme. I use a lot of Siberian ginseng, gotukola. Now, these are all herbs that are quite stimulating and have a, a, quite a profound effect on the immune system. When I first start treating someone, I never go into those particular herbs. I always start with the anti-inflammatory herbs, which are like chamomile, calendula, marshmallow, celery, meadowsweet. And the reason is because if someone has a chronic infection, you wouldn't want to just suddenly start busting biofilms and cyst forms with these 
full on strong myrrh and artemisiums because otherwise the person's going to end up with the bacteria busted open from the biofilms floating around the bloodstream and and if you kill the bacteria you're going to have the lipopolysaccharides the dead bacteria and it's going to cause havoc and they're going to have a lot of symptoms which is caused it's called a herxheimer reaction like a die-off reaction so initially i'll always treat the person using anti-inflammatory type herbs very gently slowly but surely i even used a dropper dose some people are so sensitive they can't even handle like one or two drops of st mary's thistle so I'll just go in very easy, depending mm. on the patient. Like you assess that in the consultation, how sensitive they are. Um, and then there's fantastic herbs for like viruses, like let's say Epstein-Barr virus, herpes, cytomegalovirus. Um, I'll use herbs like St. John's wort is very, um, very helpful as a viral antiviral. Again, echinacea. Um, there's a lot. You just have to be mindful of, people who are on medications though because like mm. St. John's wort you can't give to someone who's on a, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor medication mm. one of your antidepressants mm. so you need to always there's a lot of contraindications with these types of herbs so you just got to check with the patient what they're on um, so I don't recommend self-prescribing at all just definitely check in with someone that knows what they're doing but there's a lot of um, even antiparasitic herbs like wormwood artemisium again um, uh, andrographis like there's just so many and of course when I'm mil- mixing up a prescription I'll always bear in mind the person's state of the adrenals so they might do some really good adrenal support herbs like withania or ashwagandha mm. astragalus shisandra rhodiola uh, and if the person's not sleeping or has anxiety or has a lot of inflammation I'll use the things like the skull cap and the zizithus and the passion flower. And of course we need to make sure we're detoxing. So one of my most used herbs is turmeric. Turmeric is like the, the gold, probably one of the most important herbs I think for treating chronic illness because it's, it's, it is for phase one and phase two detox. So it helps with the liver getting rid of the toxins, but it's also one of the, best antioxidant um, medicines we have and it's also um, anti-cancer so a lot of these patients we need to be very mindful of cancer prevention because there can be a lot of cancer um, that can be associated with these illnesses especially people who have chronic mild stealth infections that they don't really deal with you know like oh I've always had sore joints I've always been tired I've always done this and then they just don't notice their body or they're not getting checked out and then these are sadly these are um opportunities for cancer cells which everyone has to take over so we need to always look at that cancer prevention is very important i noticed in your on your website it said that you're also studying nutrigenomics is that how you say it yes yes can you tell us a little bit about that before we finish up oh that's just oh yeah that's it's probably a whole yeah, that's like a topic that yeah, I just found it really interesting. So, so nutrigenomics is looking at a person's genes. So, you know, we've got over 23,000 genes, mm-hmm. but there's quite a bunch of them that we've looked at that are specifically can be affected by nutrition. So, for example, the MTHFR gene that I talked about, which, yeah. um, which is basically it, it's methyl tetrahydrate folate reductase, which basically means a person has a challenge um, 
um, utilizing folic acid in the body and or folate and um, with the lack of vitamin B12, they aren't able to methylate. In other words, it's a part of detoxing. So methylation is one part of the liver detox pathway of, of one of six pathways of how we get rid of toxins. Um, so some people might have a genetic variation on that gene. Um, so therefore, their genes make them challenge, more challenging to detox. There's a whole bunch of other ones as well. There's MTRR and there's CBS means that they have a problem with um, metabolizing sulfur. There's um, ones called COMPT, which mean that they have more susceptible chances of getting high anxiety and depression. There's genes that mean people cannot absorb vitamin D from the sun. So 30% of people can't absorb vitamin D from the sun. Oh, wow. So when they say, oh, I go out in the sun, so I have plenty of vitamin D. Well, that's not the case. I have many patients that have um, genes that they can't assimilate vitamin C, um, vitamin E, omega um, three essential fatty acids they just can't seem to they have the genes that mean they can't break these down so it means they're going to be deficient and that's going to lead to more inflammation hmm. a lot of my chronic pain patients have the one of the lactic acid genes that mean that whenever they exercise their body builds up so much lactic acid the body can't get rid of it properly so it becomes extremely painful um, and it's actually to, down to a gene as well as the fact they've got stealth infections, but it's these genes exacerbate it. So nutrigenomics is basically looking at the genes and then using nutrients that are scientifically proven to actually help switch off that gene. Genes can be switched off. You don't have to, you know, if someone's got the celiac gene, if they don't eat gluten, you can switch that gene off so they don't have the autoimmune disease. They don't have to have the symptoms but it takes a lot of understanding and, and the patients, you know, needs to know what they need to eat. So it, it's absolutely fascinating and it's, it's a newish science, but I think it's yeah. the way of the future. I think it will be, and your genes don't change. So you can get yeah. them tested and they'll be the same forever. They're not going to change. It's not like a blood test. It, so you can get them done anytime. Um, but it's very helpful to know that you can see if you've got genes for Alzheimer's and, um, genes for MS and all sorts of things, genes for breast cancer, you can have a look and see what um, things you may be susceptible to and then use the prevention. I, I'm doing it. I'm preventing myself getting Alzheimer's. I don't want MS like my mum's got. Um, yeah, so I'm making sure I'm not going to get breast cancer. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to prevent those. Um, and so with the nutrigenomics, you're really focusing on both supplements and diet to suit each person to switch. Yeah, and herbal medicine and herbal lifestyle. Medicine, okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. so you're sort really of looking at, yeah, you, and also looking at other tests that you might need to work with the doctors, medical doctors, you know, so looking at people who've got genes that are more susceptible to rheumatoid arthritis and obviously making sure that you look at the other inflammatory markers upon medical mm -hmm. testing. Um, diabetes for example so there's lots of different things Huntington's disease you know you'd want to prevent that rather than um, I know yeah. like one patient that had the Huntington's disease which is a very horrible inflammatory brain disorder um, and then turns out her children all had the gene well then these children now need to be um, the right medicines that will prevent them getting it because they've got like a 90% chance of getting it wow. if they don't thought they're lifestyle out wow from your experience how widely spread are these stealth infections so like is it a lot of the population have these but they don't know about them oh look yeah, 
pretty much. I mean, it's not, if you think about it, many people have had Epstein-Barr virus, which is glandular mm. fever. Many people have had herpes. These are viruses now. Many people have had, you know, chicken pox in the past. So your body builds antibodies and, um, and a sort of an immunity to it. But again, it depends on the genetics and the heavy metals and the gut dysbiosis and the adrenal stress and the lifestyle. And the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. What goes on. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I heard, and don't quote me on this, but I did hear that 10% of people have the meningococcal meningitis bacteria in the mm. nose. That doesn't mean that they're going to get meningitis. It just, things take opportunities when there is a, a the environment is right. It's like cancer mm. cells, you know. If you if you if you're doing a having a toxic diet that's acidic and too much sugar and inflammation, and you're stressed, and you're not, you know, you're doing all things that's not um, calming and beneficial for the body, then you're going to more likely get those diseases. What mm. are we looking at? Um, like complete remission, or are we trying to just control symptoms at this point? Well, I'd like. Well, you do, you'd, I'd like to say that we get people, patients into remission. That's my, that certainly is my mm-hmm. mission. Um, and remission is where they're feeling okay. You know, they may never be back to the marathon running that they used to do and running the three companies and lecturing at the university. And but that probably that. wasn't a good idea anyway. <laughs> exactly. That probably got them into the state exactly. that they were in. Um, <laughs> however, very good point. However, just to have, to, you know, you want to make the most out of life. You want to make sure that you're comfortable and you're happy and you're not in pain and you have energy to enjoy life as mm-hmm. much as possible. So my mission is just to coach people and encourage people and help them and guide them to have the absolute optimum health of, of what their body can be, how mm-hmm. it can be for them personally. Yeah. Um, and and to, when a patient is in remission, it takes work. It takes work to stay like that. So I do recommend to continually take herbs. I, I take herbs every day. Touch wood, I don't have any health concerns at all. Um, I feel blessed because of that. But I do take supplements. So I take my herbs. I eat my herbs in my garden. I eat well. It's not perfect. I, I'm not perfect. Um, but I do the best I can. And I feed my children as well as I can. And we, we make the absolute best of what we can and that's that's all you can do, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it's it's, and I think you can you can create quite amazing things by looking at the diet, taking herbal medicine, the right nutrients, and just having a good, happy lifestyle with the right support. Family communities are also very important. Some of the sickest people I have don't have family or community. It's a really sad lacking area in this western society but yeah i, I see, see it too so much and it's i love these communities that are setting up where you've got like a bunch of sort of semi-retired people living on a community because they have no one else it's lovely to see i love that i encourage that yeah that's really good lots of good advice there wow mm. Mm. is there anything else that you would like to add um uh, that you would think that people really should know about staying healthy in your experience? Yeah, I didn't touch on mold because mold illness oh, is another whole yeah, big we did want to 
<laughs> we, did have, we did have Nicole Bilgema on here the other day talking about um, building biology and um, mould in the home. Yeah, and she's brilliant. Mean, yeah, I did mean to ask you about that. So, yeah, go well, ahead. I've, I've seen, um, she would have covered most of it. She's great. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think just from my perspective with a lot of these chronic patients, a lot of them are susceptible to mould illness. So I, when I'm filling out my jigsaw puzzle, in front, I do this in front of the patient, um, I'll ask the question of mould. Are you exposed to mould? Have you been exposed to mould? And I encourage people to not be around mould as much as possible. Again, mm -hmm. it's a case of, you know, if you're living in a mouldy house and you can't, you're, not, you're ill and you can't move out, that's fair enough. But you have to look at ways of ventilating or move away from the mold or don't encourage the mold open windows um, and if you are in a mold environment look at any way you can to get because mold will make um, these types of illnesses worse and there's yeah. a lot of whole that like I said it's another whole massive there's the testing in the types but the, the actual treatment again I make sure I use a lot of antifungals a lot of warming um, type herbal medicine and yeah Hmm. I mean, um, where, where can people find you and how can they work with you? So I'm, I've got my clinic in Noosa. Um, I've got my book, Lime Natural, that you can actually purchase on my website that's called limenatural.com. Mm -hmm. And my other website is amina.com.au. Um, so either meeting me in my clinic in Noosa I've got a Noosa Holistic Health is my website for that clinic. We've got 18 practitioners at our clinic in Noosa. So it's very wow. comprehensive, awesome group of fantastic practitioners. We've got chiropractors and acupuncturists. And I work closely with my husband, Byron Hillier, who does Chinese medicine and acupuncture for these types of patients. Um, and I, um, we've got a place called Helia Retreat that we're doing retreats. We've got one this weekend. We've got 60-odd people coming to our Helia Retreat. That's on um, Facebook. We've still got to get the website up yet because it's new. What do you do? Um, what's the retreats for just teaching them how to? Well, it's, at the moment, this weekend, we've got Sacred Earth coming and they're doing a um, yoga and meditation and right. workshop. Yeah, so we've got Sacred Earth come twice a year to our place and we do, it's sort of camping and glamping and back to, down to earth, we call it. So it's very, I do my wild crafting herbal medicine walks. So we go and find oh, that'd be interesting. herbs. I know, I found 20 medicinal herbs the last walk. Just, just wow. So we've got nearly 200 acres just outside of Noosa all up. Yeah. So it's and these spot. indigenous herbs. Yeah, these, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So we need another um, podcast on that. <laughs> I, know, I know it's really exciting. I just did a workshop the other day for land care people in oh, wow. identification of them. Um, and I also am going to be working in a Sri Lankan clinic, a medical centre that specialises in cancer. And I've had so much inquiries about chronic Lyme and stealth infections and they've got the hypothermia treatment and the hyperbaric oxygen chambers and um, the ozone therapy and all of the high-tech stuff. So these are for people that just, you know, they've been so sick for so long and they're kind of, these are the ones that literally are bed-bound. So mm. I'm going to be working there twice a week, sorry, twice a year for two weeks um, of the year in Sri Lanka. That's called Bingyana. 
Wow. wow. So, yeah. Busy woman, Amina. You're I, just... <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. It all sort of works well. It works really well together. And yes, I'm, I'm, I just love it. It's my mission. I, it's just been, like I said, it found me. And I yeah. just go along with whatever comes along. Cause I, it's what happens, isn't it? <laughs> my pathway just seems to be going and I'm like, yep, this is what I'm doing. And it feels right. Yeah. Great. So it's yeah. Good. Awesome. Yeah. We've put links to your various websites and uh, yeah. businesses in the show notes. And uh, Thank you. yeah, we, it, this was so fascinating. Thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, I'm sure there'll be opportunities to have you again on the show. You're such a wealth of information and, um, your, your experience is just incredible. So to be able to have access to someone like you for the podcast is just a privilege. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. No, you're welcome. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to share my knowledge. Thank you. Cheers, Amina. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. For those of you on your own health journey, you know that a lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, and you think you're doing well, and then something else pops up. It's like... Um, always, you're always learning. It's just a, it's not something that just happens overnight and suddenly you're well. If I actually had been so wrong about this really important thing in my life, what else was I wrong about? And it got me down this, uh, this place of questioning all the concepts that I had. And then I came to one question, which was, who am I beyond concept? When I was a little kid, I really always had trouble with food intolerances. I realized that there was a lot to be said for the way you eat. You come to the same place that I came to, and it's a place of complete freedom. Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.